Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is sponsored in loving memory of Rabbanit Madalin Pinto, Alea Shalom, Anet Amos' mother, Lilui Nishmat Rabbanit Mazal Batsimha, Alea Shalom on the 11 months, sponsored by Annette and Gabrielle Amos. Um, I, uh, I thought uh, there's an interesting pasuk that I'd like to begin maybe our conversation today on. The pasuk says, these are the generations, the offspring of Yitzhak ben Abraham. Abraham will lead Yitzhak. Yitzhak is 40 years old when he marries Rivka bat Betuel Arami. Mipadan Aram, Avchot Lavon Arami Lolisha. He takes this woman to be his wife. She's the sister of Lavan, and he takes her to be his wife. Vayetar Yitzhak Lamonai, and Yitzhak prayed to God, Lenochach Ishto. Lenochach means opposite his wife. Ki akarai, because she was barren. And God listened to Yitzhak's prayers, Vatar Rivka Ishto. I want to point out two interesting things here. Number one, she's called Ahot Lavan. Now, Lafdil Elif Al-Fehavdalot, we have other examples too. Do you ever see a wedding invitation that says, we would like to say Mabruk to Rachel, the brother of David Stein? It always says that parents. So why doesn't it say that she's the daughter of Betuel? Why the why Achot Lavan, the sister of Lavan Lola Isha? And if you'll tell me that the answer is like we find in other places where someone is uh, referenced by their brother. In those cases, we find that the Gemara says the reason why we said the brother is because that was the brother was the one that raised them, or because the brother was the one. That, that financed them. Where do we find it? We find it in the Mishnah, the beginning of Zivachim, where it calls one of the Tanaim after his brother. Not Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, but Shimon Achi Azariah, or something like that. Why do, why, Rashi says, why? Because he was the one who paid while he was sitting and learning. So he sponsored, he paid for his family. So he's called after his... But Lavan, we know no such thing is true. In fact, he didn't have time to raise her separately to the father. Because the father died in the conversation. They were trying to poison Eliezer and hush all of his money. This is the, the best kind of in-laws, right? At least everything's quote-unquote on the table, right? They put the poison on the table. It's not stabbing you in the Akbay, right? Back and forth. And the Malach comes and saves him, okay? So all of a sudden, Lavan is now there. Why would we say, why would you call her Achot Lavan? And uh, the interesting thing is, that she's called Achot Lavan in this context. And the Mefarshim say that one of the reasons the Pasuk carries on and says, Achot Lavan Arami Loli Isha, and Yitzhak had to pray, Le opposite his wife, Ki Akarai, because she was barren. The Mefarshim explained that the reason why she was barren was because she was the sister of Lavan. Last week's parasha, before she leaves, Lavan tells his sister, he blessed her that she should be, she should have myriad children. Tens of thousands, the thousands of ten thousands. In order that the offspring of Rivka should not be affected by the bracha of a rasha, because the blessing of an evil person actually is not a blessing, it's a curse. Like we find later on also by Bil'am, Vayahafoch Amonai, and God Himself turned the Kilala of Bil'am, 
Libiracha, we say in the Navi. Go look in the Torah. You don't find the Kilala. Hadad has he's trying to curse, but nothing he says comes out as a curse. By the way, that's an amazing script for a movie. Right? No? Could you imagine that? The guy's trying to curse, trying to say the worst things, only comes out flipping Hallmark cards. Right? That's what's going on here. So what's the Kilala Libracha? And the Chachamim explain that when it comes to a Rasha, when the Rasha is blessing you, he's only really blessing you for himself. He's only blessing because he wants to, the Chachamim explain, why is he blessing Rivka with 10,000? Because the Gemara says that if you want to know what your children are going to be like, check out your brother-in-laws. Because Rov Bani, most children go after the brother of the mother there. They carry that the personality type. So Lavan says, if the kids are going to be like me, I bless you with millions of them. In order to save Am Yisrael from turning out that way, a bunch of charlatans, a bunch of people who were scammers, who were liars, like Lavan was, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Rivka Akara. She couldn't have children. So it wasn't a natural order that she was giving birth. It didn't follow the normative line that the kids are going to be like the brothers of the mother because actually these kids didn't, so to speak, come from that. She was Akara, she couldn't have children. And now the prayers of Yitzchak bring a son. And what kind of child does the prayers of Yitzchak bring? It brings superstars. Someone once said to me, maybe that's what was going on in the birth of the children. That tension that on the one hand, Lavan, on the other hand, Yitzchak, and look at the kids. You have Yaakov, and you have Yisav. Rabutai, but that's not really what I wanted to talk to you about. All that was only a setup. So here we are, we have the brother of Lavan, the, the sister of Lavan, excuse me, is married to Yitzhak, and there's a decree in heaven that she should be unable to have children. Ironically, here's another example of the many examples that you find where God is doing something and you're sitting there with your hands spread out to Hashem and you're like, why? Why are you cursing me? Why are you ruining my life? Why are you giving me such bad mazal? How come this person is sick? How come we lost our business? How can we have this problem and that problem? And Hashem is like, I wish you would stop yelling at me because I'm only trying to help you. And if, you, if I would give you the children that you wanted in the way that you wanted, you would mourn for the rest of your life that the child you had. So now I'm giving you a little bit of a challenge in the beginning, but I'm going to give you in the end what you really, really want. But that takes time. Work with me. Look at Rashi on the spot. Rashi says, what does it mean, opposite his wife? This one is standing in this corner, and he prays. And she is standing opposite him in the opposite corner and praying. This always bothered me for years. Just the body language. You know, Yitzchak and Rivka try to have a child. So where would you imagine them praying? Side by side, holding hands, I don't know, right? Next to each other. And even if they were very religious and they wanted to pray with a mechitza in between them. I would go like the kotel, you know how the mechitza goes straight down? I would go to the corner of the mechitza, have my wife stand on the opposite corner of the mechitza so I could be as close to her to pray together. Why is he praying opposite his wife? 
Did this ever bother you? It always drove me crazy. This one is standing in this corner, and this one is standing in this corner. I want to add one more question. If the important part was for that they would be praying opposite and facing one another, why the corners? You see, every word of Torah says Darsheni. Look at me. I'm trying to teach you something. If Rashi went to tell you that they were in the corner, it's important to know that they were in the corner, not standing opposite each other along the wall. Rabotai, I want to share with you a Lashon in the Gemara. The Gemara says on these words, the Gemara says, Why were our uh, forefathers and our four foremothers, why were they barren? And the Gemara answers, Because God desires the prayers of the righteous. Now, what the answer means, and unraveling and unpacking that, maybe we'll say for a different time. But from the opening statement of the Gemara, we see that who was barren? Both of them. So what does the Pasuk mean when it says, and Yitzchak prayed to God, ki akara hi, for she was barren. Now, I would understand if you found this Pasuk by Avraham Avinu. Why? Avraham Avinu marries Hagar, five minutes later they have a kid. I would understand if you found the Pasuk by Yaakov Avinu, because Yaakov Avinu was having children from Leah and from Bilha and from Zilpah. It's only Rachel. I would understand if you would say this pasuk and Yaakov prayed opposite his wife because she was barren. Abraham prayed opposite Sarah because she was barren. But Yitzchak has no children. So why does it say that he's praying opposite his wife because she is barren? They were both barren. The answer to all of these questions is really the same. It is true that Yitzchak was barren or at least as barren as but that's not why Yitzhak was praying it's important that we go back and recognize the context because always when you're learning Torah context is king Yitzhak Avinu is the strongest human being so to speak who was maybe whoever lived in this world in fact my rabbi always used to say that the reason why there's so little in the Torah written about Yitzhak is because it would be near on impossible for any of, us, any of us to learn any lessons from him. So therefore, since the Torah is about teaching you how to live, not a history book, it didn't bother telling you all of the great deeds of Yitzhak Avinu because they're just so far removed from our comprehension. I'll give you my favorite example. Yitzhak and Abraham are doing the Akedah. Abraham is at the top of the mountain and he's crying. And what is Yitzhak saying? Tie me tight. I don't want to move my hands and invalidate the Qurban. That's what he's thinking the last minute of his life. Another opinion says, he says, time tight, I don't want my hands and feet to move around in the death throes. You know, after somebody dies, an animal or a human, the animal, their, their, uh, what's it called? The nerve endings are still active. Their hands move, you know, they, they shake, they move. They, Yitzhak said, God forbid, in, in, after I die, if my hands move around, I might hit you and that would be contravening the commandment of honoring your father and your mother 
Aviv of hitting your father. Who who thinks like that? Yitzhak Avinu is a rock, Shebirak. That's what he is. So if God says to Yitzhak, you're not ready to have children yet? Yitzhak? Okay. I'll carry on doing my mitzvot. I'll carry on doing my prayers. I'll carry on doing everything. But I accept 100% everything, God, that you give me. We find an example of this by Aharon. Aharon loses two of his children in a cataclysmic event, the day of the opening of the Mishkan, Vaidom Aharon. And Aharon says, nothing. That power of submission, if you will, to God's will, is just supreme. It's so strong. So Yitzhak, for his own uh, akaranis, he's not praying. But Yitzhak knew that his wife was suffering. And Yitzhak needed to overcome himself almost. To come to pray with true emotion. And to ask for something that maybe in his own self, in his own soul, he was okay with if God was okay with it. But he needed to not be okay. He needed to pray from a place of desire, to pray from a place of passion, to pray from a place of emotion. So what does Yitzhak Avinu do? He prays opposite his wife. So he could watch the pain that Rivka Imenu is in. He could watch his wife praying and crying and praying and crying. And then Yitzhak has to pray, not for himself, not for him to be a, a, a father, but ki akarai. He prays opposite her because she is barren. Do you hear that? The element of the Zavit illustrates the fact that both people in this prayer exercise or experience. When a person is in a corner, they're cornered, they're trapped. They put themselves in a place, both Rivka and Yitzchak, where they were trapped. Rivka says, I was chosen to be one of the imaot. I have no choice but to pray for this. Yitzhak Avinu understands that even if he's okay with it, he can't be okay with it for her sake. So he puts himself in an opposite corner. They trap themselves. They lock themselves into a reality. Because in order to change your nature, sometimes you have to realize that nature doesn't change by itself, but rather by the circumstances that you put yourself in. There's a famous story. It's said about three or four different rabbis. I don't think the story is true, if I'm honest. Uh, it might be apocryphal, but the, na- but the lesson of the story is definitely, is definitely important. And 100% true. They tell the story about Rambam. They tell the story about Rav Yonasan Ibershitz. People were trying to communicate that this world is not a world of God. It's not a world of Torah. It's a world of natural urges, desires. And the same way people could come up with uh, desires that they want, they could also come up with good things that they want. And there really isn't a difference between a human and an animal. And they wanted to prove and to humiliate the rabbi, let's say it was Rambam, in front of everybody. So they, uh, they said to Rambam, we're going to invite you on such and such a day, and we're going to show you that an animal can be trained to be uh, like a human being. He turns up, and of course the place is packed with spectators, 
and they serve dinner. And who comes out to serve the dinner? A cat. He's walking, he's been trained to walk on his hind legs, and he's carrying dishes to the table. And he's setting the table, putting, you know, all the little uh, the knives and forks in the right place. And it's very impressive. And every time he does something, the crowd claps. And then he takes, he comes out, and he's holding a tray, and there's glasses on the tray. Okay? And he's going to come now, and he's going to serve wine. And there's a small bottle of wine and glasses on the tray that they've placed, and the cat is making his way across the dinner hall, and the place breaks out into unbelievable applause. But Rambam doesn't look uh, pulsed. He's non-pulsed. And as the, uh, the cat makes its way about halfway across the floor, he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a very small box. And he opens up the side of the box and outruns a small mouse. The cat sees the mouse. Batich, the tray, the cups, the thing, flings it in the air and he runs, chases the mouse around the thing, trying to kill the mouse. Rambam smiles, and the point is, train the animal of what you want to train the animal. You didn't change its nature. And in that, it is different than a human being. And in that, we can understand the difference in the world between the food chain and human beings. We're not just top of the animalistic food chain. We are a different species. We were designed with a different purpose to be able to illustrate, to exercise our humanity in this world. What we learn from that story, true or not, is that to understand the truest nature of a thing, you have to put it in a scenario which, within which <coughs> that element is brought out. And I kind of feel like for many of us, we are that cat. For many of us, we like to think that we're very nice and that we are forgiving and that we are not judgmental. But everybody, everybody has a mouse. It just has a different name for you. The mouse might be one of your children speaking back to you. You see people, the nicest people, the child speaks back to them with a little chutzpah, the guy loses his marbles. I'm not saying you shouldn't discipline the child. You should. It's chutzpah. But the guy loses all sense of proportion. I told them in the Shabbat class the other week, I was walking down the street, and I saw a father holding the hand of two kids. Right? And, and the father said to the little girl, she must have been, I don't know, four, five years old. He says, if you complain one more time, I'm going to take your toy away so fast, your eyes will bleed. Who, who says that, first of all? And second of all, I don't, I'm pretty sure that that's not how that works. There isn't a speed that you can take away toys from children at which eyes begin to like spontaneously erupt in bleeding. I don't think that that's a thing, <laughs> right? But everybody has that thing which really pushes their buttons. It might be, as an example, where they're ignored by their spouse because the spouse is angry at them and the spouse knows. Our, our, our husbands and wives, we, we, we know each other the best in the world. So when we're upset and we want to show the other person we're upset, we kind of have these passive-aggressive ways of sticking the other, not answering them, ignoring them, right? Or kind of putting things down loudly. That was a great one always, right? Put the plate down loudly with uh, excess noise, right? There's different things that we can do. Of course, I'm not speaking from any personal experience, honey, in case you're listening. This is just something I've read about in books. 
Yeah, you're perfect. Either way, the point is, Rabotai, right, in these scenarios, suddenly a, a true nature is revealed. And I think it's important to understand that one could look at someone like Yitzhak, who's not praying, and you could see a Stoic. I don't know if you're students of philosophy, but you remember the Stoics? The Stoics were Greek. And they believed that a person should live in a constant state of being non-pulsed. That's what Stoicism is. Where I don't get riled up about anything. Take my money? Okay. Take my wife? Okay. My children? Okay. I'm just not a person who reacts. I'm just not a person of emotion. So you could look at Yitzhak and say, wow, what emunah? Maybe he doesn't have emunah. Maybe he's just that type of person who just doesn't react to anything. I remember I was in a hotel once and uh, they brought in this, this uh, managing company from New Zealand. I thought at first it was a stroke of genius until I realized that actually it was a disaster. Do you ever meet people from down under, Australia, New Zealand? They're so chilled. So like the person would come up, they'd be like, my room, it's not the right room. And the person would be like, right, you know? They're like, but we're going to get you in a great room service as soon as possible. Big smile on their face. And the person's like, but that's not what I ordered. And the children, and the person's like, I totally hear you, you know? And they're like, but, and the guy got more and more and more angry because the less they responded, the less they got angry or got bothered, the more it bothered the other person that they weren't getting angry. So you could look at Yitzhak and say, maybe he doesn't have such emunah, maybe Yitzhak Avinu is just a person who doesn't care that much. You know, he'd be happy. You meet people like that. They don't really need kids. They need a coffee and a newspaper. But suddenly you see Yitzhak putting himself in the corner. Recognizing that that nature, that he, this nature of emunah in this scenario is not the right move. So Yitzhak bends turns and brings out something in himself and sometimes that is our job in life to create scenarios that bring about change if i am not caring enough within my marriage and maybe that's just how i'm built if i'm not someone who actually it doesn't bother me whether or not i'm making enough money i'm happy to just do it this way and get the break on school tuition and but my wife she's humiliated that we live that way. Not because she's, let's say, as an example, a spoiled person, but she doesn't ever want to take anything from somebody. Is it my job to care about the way she feels about it? Yes, it is. Yes. That's what a kitubah says. Yes, it is. It is your problem. Now, of course, it doesn't mean excess. If she just wants a Ferrari, it doesn't mean that you need to kill yourself for, to get her a Ferrari. But if she says to you, I'm uncomfortable with this, yes, you have to respect that. And what if you don't? then you create scenarios in which you change yourself. You pray, you back yourself into a corner until that scenario, that element, that nature brings about this change, this, this change within you. Someone told me, Rabbi, I don't know what to do. He said, I have a lot of money, I'm a very wealthy guy, he says, but nothing ever makes me happy. I could buy whatever and like, like for a day I'm happy about the new house or the new car or the new vacation or the plane. He go, one day, like it doesn't last. So I said to him, it sounds to me like you have a big hayuv. He says, a hayuv, a responsibility. I said, a hayuv de oraita. He says, a hayuv de oraita from the Torah I have? What is it, to give charity? I said, no. Because for this guy, 
when you have that level of money, the cash that you're giving to someone else, it doesn't really mean anything. So even though you're giving it to someone else, and for them it means the world, but for you, it's just, it doesn't mean anything. It's like for me, if I was to take an empty hand and go like this towards a poor guy, just throw an empty hand full of nothing at a poor guy, it wouldn't cost me anything, it wouldn't mean anything. For this guy, there's so much, he, has, he can't spend all the money he has. It means nothing to just, to do that. I said, no, that's not your responsibility. I said, your responsibility as a human being is to get on a plane and go spend a week in Africa or in uh, Israel living with a community of Ethiopians or Bedouins who don't have anything. People who are starving, people who are sick but can't afford medicine. Until you reset your outlook. That's your responsibility. Because it's my responsibility to be someone who's kind and compassionate. And if I'm not, what am I supposed to do? I'm just not. Change that. Put yourself in a place, in a situation, in a story, in a, get involved in something until actually you've broken that exterior shell. That is the power of these words. Hashem, uh, bless us always to be able to find these elements of ourselves that need change and to be creative enough to be able to bring about scenarios or elements or stories or mice that will truly change them. Baruch Amen, Amen.